Have you ever been told at some point in your life that you are not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, rich enough, or any reason really? This podcast is meant to teach, motivate, and inspire you to never lose sight of what your true passion is and to always believe that you are far more capable than you think. Welcome to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Lawrence. Each week, we'll bring to you a guest with that similar background that they've been told at some point that they couldn't succeed or was smart enough or rich enough or where they came from. We hope that this podcast will inspire you and lead you and motivate you to discover your purpose, passion, and drive. Sit back and relax as our guest brings you a very special story each and every week. I think people have a lot more baked inside of their story and their past than they necessarily acknowledge and can recognize. And it really takes sitting down And I even have tips for how to sit down and how to create space and how to create mind uh, space, if you will, in order to do that, because we don't necessarily take the time, especially when we're busy and we're heads down in our jobs and we're working on our personal lives or whatever else is happening to really just take inventory. And um, you're right. And I I do hope, um, similar to the situation that you're describing, that COVID did introduce us to this idea of, of taking a little bit of inventory. Um, because that is usually where the good stuff comes from. Welcome back to the Why Not Me podcast with your host, David Pahorns. Today, we have a special guest and a good friend of ours and of the family, Gazelle Johnston, founder of June Solutions. Welcome, Gazelle. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on and no pressure to me because you're a good friend of the family. So um, we're going we're gonna to just jump right into it if you're ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. So your company came with a June Solutions. How did you choose that name and, and how did that come about? Yeah. So um, when I decided that I wanted to start my own company and I wanted to start working with individuals, one thing that was really important to me was to try to come up with a title that was going to convey um, feelings of positivity and, and really the feelings that I was hoping people would experience by working with me. And June is a term of endearment in Farsi, and it elicits a lot of positive sensations and it brings back a lot of really good memories from my childhood or even just interactions with family and people that I know and love. And so I thought it would be something that I would bring inside the culture of the company that I wanted to start. So that's where June came from. Um, And then I wanted to though also make it kind of tactical, like something people could actually wrap their heads around the fact that if they were working with me, they would be, um, it wouldn't just be um, theoretical conversations, but they would be walking away from any engagement that we were working on together with tools and with strategies and things that they could implement in their lives to allow them to feel fulfillment in different ways. So I needed a second word um, that kind of summed that up. And I uh, asked actually my college friends, I kind of put it out there and said, what do you guys think? And there was a lot of different suggestions and uh, solutions seemed to make the most sense. One, because it rhymed, which was kind of cool. And two is because that is ultimately what I'm hoping to, to strive towards is helping people find solutions that will allow them to have that sense of fulfillment in their lives and in their careers. And when you kind of came about, was there a, a, like a backup name if that, you know, like as you were kind of deciding on your name? For your company or was that you know you felt strong and confident that that's what you really wanted to go with you know i felt pretty strong and confident and honestly i'm kind of one of those people where i do like to analyze things but once i've kind of make up my mind i'm all in i don't try to look back i tried not to second guess myself i just hunker down and try to make it work and this was definitely one of those situations well it, it's a great name i mean and it is catchy so i, I love it so great job with that and um and kudos to those friends. I know one of them. So uh, yes. <laughs> so tell me about what is it that you hope to accomplish with your business? Like what's your vision just overall? Like as you start, you know, kind of really diving into the company and, and your and your impact that you're definitely making this so far. Yeah. So I um I'm really passionate about the idea of people being able to find fulfillment through their work and being able to find joy in their work. And one thing that's really important to me is being able to work with individuals, depending on where they are in their own personal lives, and helping them figure out how to navigate in order to achieve that sense of fulfillment. So what I'm really trying to ultimately accomplish is working with individuals to allow them to delve a little deeper into their interests, their backgrounds, their skills, in order to come up with a path that allows them to find work 
and um, achieve that sense of satisfaction in their work that um, allows them to grow and feel like they're being the best version of themselves. And I think a lot of times um, we're also used to following a process and wanting to come up with what the answer is by going through that process. But if you don't really know what that process itself looks like, you might need someone to help you navigate through it. And what I try to do is work with individuals, take them through a process that allows them to reflect on themselves and ultimately open themselves up to avenues of um, careers that might really match and align to what their goals are. And that's really what I try to accomplish is people kind of walking away with that feeling of fulfillment and that they've got a plan. Right. And and have you seen a, a correlation more so with COVID when you started the company? Or, or are you seeing a little bit of kind of a variety of, of those issues or topics kind of going on with people that you're encountering? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I actually work with what I would say, I work with a lot of different people, but the two primary groups of individuals that I end up working with a lot of times are college students, juniors and seniors who are trying to figure out what they want to go do with their degree, or even if they don't like their degree, what do they have to go do next? And then the other group of individuals that I oftentimes work with are women who are either returning to work after having been at home with their children, or they're looking for a career change, or they're looking to go from maybe part-time to full-time work. And in both of those cases, I would say their needs are obviously different and and really their perspective is different. They're coming from very different places. Um, What I've found through COVID is though, both have also had pretty serious reflections where they have maybe needed to accelerate or rethink what they always thought was going to be their plan. A lot of the college students I've worked with, their internships were completely thrown up in the air. They thought they were going to be in the office and starting to get some of those experiences and that exposure. And then a lot of times those plans didn't come together the way they thought. So they're in a little bit of a different place around, okay, well now what? Like, I don't know exactly if I really wanted to go down that path because I thought I was going to test it out and I haven't. And so it's helping them to still bring some of that to life when their plans didn't go what they thought they were going to go. Um, and a lot of the the women that I work with, frankly, a lot of them had to delay what they thought was going to be their return to work plan um, because their needs at home changed. So yeah, I would say that a lot of this has been pivoting. And that's one thing I kind of talk about with people a lot of times is this is the way life works. And we're going to have to pivot sometimes in order to um, make do with what's been handed to us. And COVID has certainly, I think, been um, a big part of getting us to practice that muscle of pivoting. Correct. Yeah. I've seen a lot in in the fitness industry of just a lot of having to recreate kind of your identity while you're kind of navigate through this, really this time and and place that none of us have ever experienced. So I I think that's, that's spot on hundred percent. And Earlier, when I sent you some, you know, some questions and kind of in advance, to kind of, so you know where I was kind of going with this, I asked you, in your opinion, how, how do you think you, you or your company can help someone or some company who is looking to navigate through those issues in their business or their personal life? And one thing that you said was, I think most people struggle to string together the right words and examples to accurately convey their story. Without the right narrative, you don't only struggle to shine your light, but you also struggle to believe you have a light to shine. I'll elaborate on that a little bit more if you don't yeah. mind. So I think that um, we have kind of, we're living in a society of sound bites. And so we're kind of used to things being boiled down to tweets or to Instagram messages or to headlines. And that's kind of how we're in some ways communicating with each other. I feel like a lot of times, especially when we're communicating with like our children, for example, we get a text message from them and there's barely punctuation in it, let alone, um, you know, a complete sentence. And so I think that as a result, we um, in some ways have kind of lost our words a lot of times. And we need specificity when we talk about ourselves and when we talk about our skills and what we want really to accomplish in our lives. And so I think that a lot of that has been, um, we've lost the ability to necessarily know how to speak in a way, or maybe we never necessarily even had it because we were, it wasn't something we really practiced. So I really do believe that a lot of times we have, um, it's not so much, you know, yes, we obviously have to go through some exercise around upskilling or training or education. Those things are all extremely valid. And and there is a time and place where you have to reflect and figure out what you need to go do in order to get that capability. But in addition to having capability, um, a big part of this is being able to tell and articulate um, 
what you have done and what your objectives are. And so one thing that's really important to me is helping people find those words and being able to do it um, with intention. And um, I think until you have those words, you don't necessarily always even believe in yourself to the degree that you should. Uh, So I think step one is like going through that process of what's my story? How do I tell it? How do I do it with specificity and in a way that's digestible to my audience? And once I'm able to practice that a few times, I then really actually believe it <laughs> and, right. and that confidence comes out. And once I have that confidence, it's amazing how many more things can, can kind of come together. And honestly, David, it's a lot of what you talk about in your book. I mean, it is that sense of, of once you believe it, um, all these other things can kind of come together and it's a little cliche. And at the same time, the reason it's a cliche is because once you've been in that boat, you get that that's the only way that's the first step in making some of those things happen. Right. And, and a lot of times, especially in our upbringing or the, the, the backdrop, if you will, of, of our surroundings as we, from, you know, from elementary school through high school and college and even our professional lives, the world seems to dictate a lot of what people want or, or think they should be doing based off what the world is telling them they should be doing. And I think it all starts from the people you surround yourself with from the time you're little to your, to your family, the most important part, right? So, and then your friends and then everything else around you, it doesn't mean you have to settle for what a certain path may be putting you, pointing you towards, right? So you right. can always change that narrative. Yeah, um, I, and- I agree. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think that there is these instances where we're kind of pointed to different models and we're almost expected to subscribe to one without always recognizing we might have our own path. And, you know, I was, I was at Accenture for 20 years before I um, left and kind of lowercase r retired um, a, a few years back. And I remember when I was returning to work after my first child was born um, and there were certainly other women who had um, returned to work and um, come back to the firm at that point um, in similar situations. And I remember, you know, a couple of people had asked me, well, are you going to do the path so-and-so chose? Or are you going to take the path so-and-so chose? And I was like, neither, I'm going to do my path, you know? And, but at the same time, in that moment, I felt a little overwhelmed because I thought that there was this expectation I had to pick one or the other. And it wasn't until I really actually thought about it and recognized that, no, like there is actually other alternatives that it's just a matter of, you know, figuring out what they are, but you're right. That a lot of times we don't really know and, and, and we're not necessarily told that that uniqueness sometimes is, is what matters most. Right. hundred percent agree. And then also you added a part about the business side, just a shift from personal to business. Yeah. You said, I also believe there are many gray lines between profit and purpose, and there are many ways to find meaningful work. What do you mean by that? So I think that um, there is a lot of um, buzz. There was a lot of buzz about, you know, go find what you're passionate about and then go make a lot of money or go try to make a little bit of money, but follow your passion. And I think at the end of the day, that puts a lot of pressure on people because not everybody has a passion that is so easy to define or so easy to understand. And and frankly, yes, some people might be super passionate about um, solving climate change or working on um, transportation issues or homelessness. I mean, there are some pretty big societal issues and some people, God bless them, are so passionate about working in that space. And and we are so grateful and lucky to have those individuals. Well, there's other people who their passion might not necessarily boil down into a big social issue. Their passion might be something about spending more time with their family or, you know, being in nature or something that is maybe more internal. And I think that a lot of times it can be almost too much pressure to expect someone to find work around their passion. And so one thing that I'm I'm really a big believer in is you can kind of um, support your passion in a lot of different ways. And for some people, it might mean I'm going to have a career and it's going to maybe be in a place that I enjoy and it, it, it's giving me satisfaction and stability. And it's also creating my ability to take every night off so I can then go play golf or I can go whatever it might be that actually speaks to my passion. So I think there's just something to be said about, you know, you can solve for your passion a couple of different ways. Um, I also think, and and this is somewhat of a semi-related point, but it's back to your question about companies and businesses in the space that um, exist now more than ever. 
which I was, I was really lucky. I spent um, a few years working with this amazing startup company called Daymaker, and it's an online gift-giving compassion platform that allows companies to engage their employees in meaningful gift-giving experiences. And Daymaker opened up my eyes to the fact that passion, I mean, profit and purpose can actually exist at the exact same time. You can work in a space where you're making the society a better place. You're bringing people up. You're creating feelings of generosity and kindness in um, in others, and you're doing it in the place of commerce. <laughs> and um, those things can coexist. It's not to say that every business necessarily is going to have that blunt or blatant of an intersection point, but there are certainly places it is in every single business for those um, conversations to happen. Um, and I don't care what the business might be. It could be, you know, whatever it is, there's still a place where if you come with integrity, you can still bring that sense of purpose into profit and it can come to life. Right. I understand. hundred percent agree, especially in, well, in, in my world right now with the uncertainty of when COVID did hit in the fitness industry, that a lot of owners and franchisees and, and personal training, private studio owners are wondering where are those profits going to come from? Right. And one thing, the whole reason behind when I wrote this book was, yes, helping you discover your purpose um, through your passion and then and finding that drive to do so. But the other part was like, how do we how do we identify the message first of where we really want to go? And for me, it was just identifying what I making a list of what I had accomplished to date and really going back and reflecting on that. So take a moment to really appreciate people's accomplishments and then and build off of that so i think that's a huge huge point to to remember as people are struggling to identify those things so yeah i i completely agree it's interesting um in so one of the things my clients we we really um offer them this june journey is what i call it and the first step of the june journey is self-assessment um and i use a combination of internal and external tools because to your point I think people have a lot more baked inside of their story and their past than they necessarily acknowledge and can recognize. And it really takes sitting down. And I even have tips for how to sit down and how to create space and how to create mind uh, space, if you will, in order to do that, because we don't necessarily take the time, especially when we're busy and we're heads down in our jobs and we're working on our personal lives or whatever else is happening to really just take inventory And um, you're right. And I I do hope, um, similar to the situation that you're describing, that COVID did introduce us to this idea of of taking a little bit of inventory, um, because that is usually where the good stuff comes from. Right. And in our industry as well, and and I think this applies to any industry, is being authentic as possible and genuine. Because like I tell our team is, you can be 100% knockout best salesperson in the world. But if you're not genuine in your approach, people will identify that no matter what industry you're in. And that really, especially during COVID, people are coming back to gyms, they're going back to restaurants, they're going back to traveling, and they're less looking for somebody who's genuine. Like you mentioned your story earlier about sitting next to somebody on a, on the plane, and and that's just a little icebreaker joke. Um, yes. that's, sometimes that's all we need is a laugh, right? So I think those things are important, especially as we continue to navigate through really what's been the craziest thing ever and probably hopefully our lifetimes and our kids' lifetimes as well. Kind of shifting gears back to your your personal and professional story. Um, It's a powerful and strong message. What is the one piece of advice you would tell anyone who has faced, who has faced or is currently dealing with any adversity in their life? And I know you you gave me a little bit of notes beforehand, but I want to just kind of give you an opportunity to jump back into that. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I think adversity can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and forms. Sometimes it's little diversity. Sometimes, I mean, adversity, sometimes it's big adversity, right? So I think that, um, you know, we can um, in many ways get overwhelmed um, by the big stuff when it happens. And um, I got some advice many years ago from a mentor of mine when I was kind of going through a career um, kind of identity crisis about exactly what it was I was going to want to go do next. And I think I was struggling with some stuff about what really was important to me. And, um, you know, the advice I got, and and I've kind of like taken it and I've turned it into my own, if you will, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we feel like we might experience a lot of small moments of adversity or decision-making or just requiring us to like 
you know, check in with ourselves. So when that happens, I think, you know, it's really important have a pros and a cons list, have some strategies, have some tools, kind of apply a process and work yourself through it. Um, and typically you're going to probably find that you're going to be on the other end of that feeling pretty good about whatever you accomplished. And if you didn't, the consequences are probably not so severe. So you'll learn something and, and move yourself through it. I think when it comes to the big stuff, like the really big challenges that face us, one of the best gifts we can give ourselves is to listen to our intuition, right. uh, quiet our minds for a minute, um, instead of jumping straight into solution mode and um, trying to kind of figure out what to go do, take a few minutes, reflect, quiet our mind, and listen to what our gut is telling us. Um, it's a really powerful tool. And when we take the moment to actually hear and listen to what it's trying to tell us, and I know it sounds a little woo-woo, but I promise it's one of those things if we practice, we actually get better and better at it. Um, right. And when it comes to those big decisions or those big moments of adversity, then we're able to rely upon it and we know what we're supposed to go do. And then we follow through on it. And then the process and all that other good stuff, you know, that maybe validates it for us. But ultimately, when we listen to what that inner um, voice is telling us, so to speak. Um, yeah. Th then, and then I think we can kind of do ourselves some pretty big favors. And you had mentioned your mentor and then one of them, one of them being your dad. And then your message to me, you had said, when it comes to most decisions, it's important to apply a process and use data to lead you to that outcome. And then your second point, you say you will never regret doing what's right or doing what's easy. Can you explain that difference and how your dad played a part in that? So my dad was um, one of the biggest, he lived by, lived by example, right? So um, everything that he did, um, he did with a ton of integrity. And um, we watched him many times throughout our childhood, basically choose the right path over um, the easy path. Um, little things, big things, whatever it might be. And it's not one of those things I can necessarily point to and say like, oh, that was the time when he, um, but what I do know is it was instilled upon me and not even from his messages as much as his example, that um, there are moments where, you know, it, it's easy to cut corners or it's easy to, to like look at something and say, well, that one's going to hurt. So let me take this plan because it's not going to hurt as much. And, and I don't think you'll ever regret choosing. I know you'll never regret choosing the right path over the easy path. I think in business that comes up all the time, negotiations, building relationships, um, all of those things, when you take the time to do it, um, then you're going to net a much more positive, authentic outcome um, versus trying to you know, buy your way into it or whatever else it might be. Um, and then I think in our personal lives, we have a lot of instances where you know we have to invest um, time and energy into fostering relationships. And when we do it, um, we reap so many benefits from those um, connections. Um, and when we kind of feel like we're just mailing it in um, because maybe we think something else is more important um, that's superficial, um, I don't know. Like, I think we we end up being under underwhelmed and, and really unfulfilled. Right. And having met your dad, I can definitely see that. I mean, you know, the short time I did know him, fantastic man, great man, and reminds me, your stories remind me very similar to what I put in my book about my dad and leading yeah. by example, and not so much, like you said, to the the exact words he may have said, although I do put some little anecdotes in there that, that he brings up, but it's really just from the eyes of like a five, six, seven-year-old looking up at your big dad, burly, strong guy, right? And seeing like what he's accomplished with so little education from, you know, from my dad's perspective and how proud I was for those examples and to for me to continue on leading those things and it sounds like you picked up those a lot of the same principles from your dad just those examples and having that strong influence in our lives is very important so I'm sure you'd agree with that right so I, do. I totally agree and, and and you're right and you know it's interesting like I I say in one bet words matter I totally believe words matter and we all have to be really intentional with our selection of words and at the end of the day if we also can't be good role models and we can't exhibit those actions on a day-to-day -day basis, then the words really are empty. So um, yeah, we are lucky. We're lucky kiddos, David. We definitely were um, products of pretty outstanding men and um, right. a fortunate position to be in. Absolutely. You talk a little bit about your accomplishments um, with your business and your vision. Can you uh, just elaborate a little bit more about like where you're at now with your company versus when you first started? As far as like, where do you, what next level would you like to see June Solutions take? 
Um, yes. Um, so it's interesting. When I first started Gene Solutions, it was a very organic um, evolution, if you will. So for years, I had people contacting me and saying, hey, would you help me with my resume? Or I would have a conversation with someone and they'd say, oh, I'm thinking about returning to work. I'm not sure where to start. I'd be like, oh, let's go get coffee. I'd love to help you figure that out. Um, and anyway, I was doing a lot of that stuff informally and I really enjoyed it. And I found that I was getting so much energy from connecting with people and asking them open-ended questions and working on their resume with them or telling them how to use LinkedIn, like really kind of like little things, but also like big things, just telling them and reminding them that, hey, just because you worked um, without getting paid for the, you know, your, your uh, school, your child's school for six years, you might not think that's anything, but let me tell you how that actually translates into skills and, and into something that is somewhat meaningful. So I was doing a lot of that and I decided I wanted to do more of it. And so the way that June Solutions even started was me taking formalizing something that I was informally doing for a very long time. And part of it was I wanted to do more of it. And at the end of the day, unless I was going to hang up a shingle and add some mm -hmm. legitimacy to it, then I don't think I was going to get to do more of it. Um, so I went into it without a lot of expectations around, you know, goals and um, how many clients I was going to achieve and all that kind of stuff. Um, but because I'm super duper type A, I also had to have some plan in mind. Um, and so, you know, now that it has been a little over a year since I really um, started the, the company in a more formal basis, I've kind of figured out what feels really good. I figured out um, what, how many clients feel good at any given point. I have figured out what kind of pro bono work I still like to do for people um, because that's also super important to me. I don't want to become inaccessible to folks who could really benefit from working with me. Um, and I've also figured out um, what other... Um, parts of this business are important to me besides working one-on-one. -on -one. So one thing that's really important to me is continuing to um, speak publicly about um, ways that you can help yourself navigate career transitions. So I spend time on college campuses where I'm um, able just talking about that more readily. So these aren't necessarily things that I do because you know, I think it's going to drive business, but as much as I do this, because that's part of my intention here. And I also have think that if I do uh, more of that kind of work, it will by default also, um, you know, drive business. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I think I'm kind of at a point now where I've figured out a couple of things. And if I fast forward ahead, um, I would love to get the business to where it's like a 50, 50 between doing pro bono half the time and being able to commercially um, continue to grow the business as well. Because like I said, I've my goal is to be able to not um, ever be inaccessible to individuals who would benefit from working with me. And I know that different people, depending on where they are in their lives, um, are, are not going to be able or are, are not going to be able to um, access a, um, a coach to help them through this process. So that's kind of where I'm planning to continue to grow it. And then, you know, anytime where I get some of these um, branches that I can go out on, whether it's speaking publicly or blogging about it or joining podcasts like this one. Right. That's really fun for me because it's not just uh, it's a matter of where I can actually, you know, do that one on one work, which I find to be really impactful. And then being able to, you know, go out and speak about it publicly um, is something that I just I really enjoy. And it gives me the opportunity to work with other people um, who are also really passionate about these kinds of topics. And, and that's fun to be around them. I, I love hearing that. And since you went there, I'm going to ask you. So tell me a little bit about your blog, like really quick. <laughs> <Does> <laughs> The audience, what does the, the audience want to know what Gazelle blogs about? Like, what's uh, what's the blog entail? Yeah, so I love to write. Um, it's just something that I do. Actually, I do it on a nightly basis. And I always encourage a lot of my clients to actually begin some type of habit around writing because I think it'd be very therapeutic. Um, but in terms of what I share publicly, um, you know, it's I have not really figured out a really good rhythm for my blog yet. Um, when a topic kind of strikes me where I kind of feel like, oh my gosh, I keep hearing about this. I should really write about it because I have an opinion about it. I do. Um, an example of that is a lot of times when I work with women who are returning to work, maybe after being stay-at-home moms, or maybe they're moving from a part-time or full-time job. The one common thread I hear over and over and over again is I don't want to lose my flexibility. And so they automatically just assume a handful of jobs are off the table. And what I've learned is when you really break flexibility down, it comes down to much more simple questions than, um, than just assuming I don't want flexibility. Um, and so I blogged about it. I was like, okay, well here, you know, cause I kind of found myself almost saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I was like, this might be actually something that more people could benefit from. And frankly, it gave me benefit from like sitting down and really synthesizing what are these three or four main things people need to think about 
instead of just claiming, I want flexibility, how do you become more specific about what you really want? And so that was one of my blogs that I just kind of like came up with recently and decided to write about. So one of the goals I have for myself is to get on a better rhythm about um, doing it. Um, I made a goal for myself last year that I would try to blog at least once a month. I'm not really great about doing that, but then um, the one month I might have two or three. So um, I put them on my website and I try to figure out how to, you know, get the word out, so to speak. But what I've found is um, a lot of times it's just coming from a very natural place of me noticing something that keeps coming up and um, it gives me a chance to sit down and write about it. Well, I think it's it's an important thing, especially to share your experiences with everyone, especially, like you said, from female coming, either leaving the workforce or re-entering the workforce, and that it is possible and those things can be navigated. And so that's fantastic. I love that. Tell me um, if you can tell our listeners a little bit about your personal story and how it relates to your current success in life and business. I love your story about, you know, moving to America when you're just two years old. Can you tell, just tell the listeners a little bit about that and, and how, what that was like? Yes. So our family moved to America when I was two years old. So it's 1977. So everybody can now do the math and figure out exactly how old I am. Um, although I'm still claiming that I'm the youngest of all of my college friends, if they're listening to this. Um, so, um, <laughs> and, and if you know, and if you know my side of that gazelle is, you know, that, um, Apparently, I don't know how old I am either. So, <laughs> okay. perfect. Well done. So, yeah. So, I, um, our family to America when I was two years old, it was supposed to be a temporary move. My dad wanted to expand business in the States and thought it would be a good idea to have real estate in America. This was really like before the revolution, right? Um, right. So, it was going to be a temporary move. We were going to stay for a little while and then return to our lives in Iran. Um, and then the revolution happened. And so, my parents made a very brave decision to stay in America. Um, and basically start over. And when I say it's brave, it's, you know, imagine having three young children, two mm. and a half, five and seven, and being in a new country and having to build, you know, build a business, build a life, build a network, build a community, um, all while you're basically leaving your home country and, and the life that you knew and the families and the friends and the apartment and all of that kind of stuff that uh, was familiar to you for so, so long. Um, so we landed in New Jersey and that's where my, my parents raised us. They worked extremely hard. Um, they really subscribed. I'll oftentimes say that the things that were really the most important to them was our safety, um, feeling loved and being educated. <laughs> and so those were the three things that they did above all else. They made sure we felt loved. They made sure we were safe and they made sure that we were educated. Um, I watched them sacrifice a lot in order to make those things happen and put our, um, our lives ahead of their own, if you will, in many cases. And as a result, um, it instilled in us a pretty strong work ethic. I have two older brothers. Um, all three of us were fortunate enough to be um, educated and to transition into careers and to benefit from the um, work ethic that we um, inherited and we observed from our parents. And um, we also had a sense of, you know, knowing that we wanted to um, pay it back, if you will, um, whether that came in terms of um, serving in our communities or being mentors or um, even just building um, networks that we could then extend to other people because we saw how important that um, is, is, is to, to kind of build your tribe or your community of people around you. And so, yeah, it played a pretty big part of, of who I am today and, and, and kind of what's important to me. And I'm extremely grateful for uh, what they went through in order to kind of put us in the situation that we are in now. And I actually voted this morning. Um, it is voting day here in Mecklenburg County. Um, right. And uh, I will, I never go into a voting uh, situation, um, even one of this obscure in the month of July, like this one is, um, but I never go into a voting booth without having just tremendous gratitude and pride for the opportunity to be, um, an American who has that right. And, and, com and coming over and seeing that, like as a ch young child and kind of how your parents laid that foundation for you, is there a moment, a one particular moment, or maybe there's a handful that really stick out to you that you were like, wow, I can't believe like this is this opportunity is here. And then, and I'm able to, you know, really take advantage of that. Is there that from your parents set forth for you? Is there something that sticks out like when you're young or even now, as you kind of think back of like, wow, I can't believe that happened type mm -hmm. of thing. You know, um, gosh, Dave, there's probably been a few over the years. Um, 
you know, so I think my, I think my brothers and I would all agree that um, being able to share any accomplishments, professional accomplishments with our dad was probably the best moment we could ever experience through childhood or even through adulthood. It was almost like um, no one was more proud ever of us and what we've ever, ever done. Um, you know, right. I, I giggle because um, my dad, unfortunately, he passed away from Lewy body dementia. So the last 18 months or so of his life were pretty tough and, and his cognitive capabilities really diminished. And for someone who was very smart and very put together for a very long time, it was pretty hard to see him that way. Right. But I remember when we were um, moving him into the assisted living facility where he ended up passing away, um, we were uh, meeting with the individual who was checking him in and asking him a bunch of questions. And he started, and then at this point, like, you know, he didn't always know what day it was. And, and he was, you know, had hallucinations, which is our very much of a, of a symptom of Lewy body dementia. And mm -hmm. then when he, in that moment started talking about his children, he was so lucid and he's just started talking about us. And of course he was embellishing because he's a proud father who would make it sound like the three of us were like curing rare diseases in this country right. or something. But he right. had this moment of lucidity where he talked about the three of us with such pride and admiration where I knew he was still there. And um, yeah, and I kind of feel like we were his most proud accomplishment. And I think we, as a result, have this ongoing level of, of just gratitude for that. And that was one of the moments where I realized, wow, like what an amazing gift that he has given us and that here he is in the most vulnerable place in his journey. And this is what he is reflecting upon. And, and wouldn't we all be so lucky to be so supported in our, in our journey? Right. And just, and having that special moment really is uh, because I can hundred percent relate during my dad's last few days uh, as well of like, out of all they're going through and they're really on their final part of their journey, they're still bragging about their, their family and their children, which, um, you know, like as a parent, and I know you probably feel the same and Andy as well, that, that that's really your, your end goal in life, no matter, yes, we all want to be successful, but really making an impact on, on our children and, and setting that foundation and being that role model. So, and so they can have those same memories, you know, Absolutely. some someday. Right. It really is. It's, it's so true. Like our, it's funny. So I, I mentioned earlier how, and as you know, I was at Accenture for 20 years and I had an incredible career and it's, it's really one of the best places in the world to work. And I tell everybody that. Um, and I'll say that one of the things that I learned the most through my career at Accenture I actually learned after I left, which was that, um, you know, when I, I worked in the mortgage industry while I was at the firm and I ran our mortgage practice for North America. And when I started working in that space, you know, the customer experience was not great. The systems were pretty antiquated. The processes were painful. And so I spent years working in that space and, and doing these really exciting, big technology projects and the like. And then as I was leaving Accenture, I started realizing, you know, the customer experience was still not that great to get a mortgage and the systems weren't still that great and the processes still weren't that great. And you start thinking about it and you're like, wow, if I had to quantify my legacy by widgets, like it wasn't really very inspiring. <laughs> but if I got to quantify my widgets based upon, um, if I got to quantify my, my, my impact, if you will, based upon the relationships I built and the clients I worked with and the organizations that I helped transform. Like if you really start thinking about it, like it really did come down to the people, the, the lives of the people that you're affecting and the lives of the people that you were connecting with. And, and that was really where the legacy lied. Um, and, and there was something like kind of among this, like this awareness about that to recognize that a lot of this really is. And I know a lot of people have said it before, right? It's, and people don't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel. I mean, I think you have those moments of, of recognition along the way. And um, yeah, and then that's another reason why I'll always be grateful for my, my 20 years at Accenture was because I can look back and think about all of those positive impacts along the way and, and how much they've affected me. That's awesome. So leading up to the next question, it really kind of ties into summing up almost all the whole conversation we've had so far. So if you were ever to consider writing a book mm -hmm. uh, with your experiences and knowledges, you know, to date, if you will, what would it be like? Would it, what 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 type of book would it be for you? It would definitely be uh, memoir ish. Um, <laughs> so I would. I don't think I'm. I, I don't think it'd be anything creative or fictional. Um, I think it would definitely be more on the along the lines of uh, they're reflecting upon my experiences, 
Um, but more so I would love to, I wish I could write a book about my dad. I think he had a really interesting, hard life in many times, um, with a lot of, you know, beautiful glimmers of, of hope along the way. Um, and, uh, he tried to write his own story. He was actually, um, a screenwriter at one point, made a couple of movies when he was in Iran. And he actually sat down at one point to write his own memoir and through some technology glitches and the like, never ended up coming together. I would love the opportunity to be able to write about him and thought about it before. And unfortunately don't know if I have access to enough content to, to make it happen, but um, I don't know. I, I do feel like um, so much of being an immigrant in America has shaped kind of who I am and um, the life that I lead now, I attribute so much to some of those learnings along the way that being able to share some of those stories, um, especially some of the, from those early days um, would be really fun to get to do. So if I ever get inspired enough to sit down, then maybe that's what I will uh, focus on. But um, I don't know. We'll see. Well, that's great. A good friend of mine has always which has kind of led me to this book as well. He's like, we all have a story and we all have one book in us. So I I, I think you should let that story out, Gazelle. Let that, okay. let, let that memoir out. So leading to that, what would you call it? Like, what would your title be? <laughs> and I love your funny. Can I share your answer? Yes. <laughs> when I asked you that question, you said, I'm not really sure what it would be, but Andy would say, Andy would say it should be, should I bring a sweater? Yes, that's right. So I'm always cold, but I always, and so, but for some reason, I don't really ever believe I'm going to be cold. So before we leave the house, I'm always like, should I bring a sweater? Should I bring a sweater? And he has said, the answer to that is always yes. The answer to that is always yes. Just break the sweater. And so years ago, he told me that if I ever wrote a book, the title should be, should I bring a sweater? Because, and it is kind of like describes a lot of my personality. I am super duper optimistic. I am a glass is not only half full. I mean, it is overflowing with water kind of thinker. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'll be warm. I'll be comfortable. Everything will be fine. Right. And so I don't really want to bring more baggage to carry around with me. <laughs> There's a lot of metaphors in there about what my life is like. And so I do think there is something we said, and I'm, I am married to a very, very practical thinker. Okay. Who's like, just bring the sweater. And so yes, it is, uh, it's as much well, a tangible as not tangible reference. I did. Uh, I did share that uh, that answer with uh, with Shannon. So, um, and she laughed. She thought that would be that's appropriate <laughs> for your book. <laughs> Perfect. So here's the here's the heavy hitter question I was telling you about earlier. So you've had such an impactful career, incredible journey along the way, and seeing that I have a young daughter and you and you as well. You have a young daughter as well. What would you say to or advise any parent who's trying or listening? who's trying to navigate their child toward a path that fits their, their inner passion or drive. And then the second part to that would be, what would you say or advise to that young female on what it is they should or need to do to become successful in life and or career? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are good. Easy ones, David. Totally easy. Um, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Softball. On Softball. <laughs> so, um, uh, so there's two things that kind of jumped to mind pretty quickly. And I actually, um, learned this myself through a handful of experiences I went through when I was actually in college is um, one of the best ways that you can really find your passion is exposing yourself to as many um, opportunities that are outside of your uh, outside of your path. So whether that is through travel, whether that's through work experiences, whether that's through meeting people who are different from you um, and who have different backgrounds or different educations. I mean, the more you expose yourself to things that are outside of your kind of um, mainstream path, if you will, the more you will start to identify with what find, you find the most interesting. Um, you know, I got into consulting because I did an internship when I was in college in textiles which is what my major was in. And it was an amazing internship and I got to travel and I got to do some neat things. But the most, the biggest benefit of that internship was I'd never want to work in textiles. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that there was something to be said for exposure. And so I really do believe that one of the biggest gifts that we can give ourselves, and, and I know there's a, a, a dimension of luxury that comes along with this because a lot of those things have cost, if you will, around travel and some other stuff. But I do think that if the opportunity presents itself to be exposed to, um, work experiences or travel abroad experiences, um, taking advantage of them is really important because I think it can just as much help you to identify what sounds interesting and meaningful and what is just as important to you is what does not. 
how do you start crossing things off of your list so that you know that that you know you've been there and done that and that's not working for you so that that's one thing that i'm just really big on is put yourself outside of your comfort zone and expose yourself and i think travel and work experiences are the two kind of avenues that get you the closest to being able to do that as a young person who is is maybe coming up um yeah. The other thing um, I would say is um, who you are today. Um, yeah, there, there, there is definitely some fundamental dimensions of your personality. They're not going to change. They're how your DNA, it's how you were born. And, and that is what it is. And you kind of accept and love those. And you also recognize that you do continue to mature. You, you know, your mature, your interests might evolve. They might actually, you know, what you find like um, super, you know, boring or uninteresting or whatever today might not be. So I, I started running at 32. I, I never was a runner before then. Um, I have for 15 years now been a pretty dedicated runner. I've run half marathons. It's a big part of my social life. It's a huge part of my wellness, um, day-to-day wellness experiences. And if you had told 12-year-old me or 15-year-old me that I would be a runner in my 30s and 40s, I would never have ever believed you. So I do feel like there's something to be said for, except the fact that like things about you will evolve. And, and that is, that's good. Um, <laughs> and, and by the way, I have never like, I, I never skied growing up. I tried it in my twenties and I finally accepted in my thirties that I'm just not meant to be a skier and that's okay too. So right. I think there is just something to be said for, you know, accept the fact that things might evolve in your life and open yourself up to that. And just because you're not a runner in your teens, doesn't mean you're not going to be a runner in your thirties. Yeah, I can relate to that hundred percent. Seeing that I was a sprinter in high school and college and I didn't, I couldn't run over a mile or three miles myself and just like you have run a half marathon and and most recently my first marathon and i have much respect for someone who does that on a regular basis who a lot of work goes into that so we can evolve and we can and we really can do a lot and and our limit we we set our own limits right so it's really just stepping out of that comfort zone and that's great advice to give so where can the listeners where can someone follow gazelle or june solutions if they're looking to you know, really either meet you or talk with you or, or get your advice? How can they find you? Yeah. So junesolutions.biz is my website and it gives an overview on my bio, my services and client testimonials. Um, and also my blog, that's where it's housed, which is um, something that, like I said, I'm going to continue to work on. And then um, on LinkedIn, um, you know, it's funny. I actually shared this on Instagram uh, quite a few months ago um, that um I am figuring out the 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 social media game for June Solutions right now. LinkedIn seems to be comfortable for me, and um, and that's where I'm continuing to share content. And my goal is to get to a place where I have that same level of comfort in um, some other social media channels. And so that is kind of my own journey is to figure out what that's going to look like. And so in the meantime, um, yeah, I'm sticking to LinkedIn and um, I'm always available. And I always tell people, um, and and this is something that's really important to me. I will have a cup of coffee virtually or in person with pretty much anybody. So uh, with no strings attached, because I do find that I get excitement about meeting new people. And I think sometimes someone doesn't really need an engagement. They just need someone to sit and have a cup of coffee and listen to them for an hour and get a couple of sound bites that might be helpful to them. And that's something that I'm willing to, to like I said, do with pretty much anybody. And, and I, anyone who is listening or will listen to this podcast, I can personally attest to that, that Gazelle and both her husband, Andy, are probably the two most genuine people that I've known in my lifetime. So she's not lying there. She's hundred <laughs> percent willing to do that with you. So a quick fun fact, um, if, if someone's wondering um, about Gazelle, like what's something that someone doesn't know about Gazelle? Like what's, you know, if someone's listening to this or who, who may know you or, and they're like, oh, I didn't know that about Gazelle. Like, what would you say that like a, a sneaky fun fact would be? Well, some people do know this. Okay. So it's your thing. One is, I'm a massive open book. Like what you see is what you get. I bring it every day. There's nothing I'm leaving behind. So that, that, so as a result, there's not a lot of people, like there, there's not that many things that not a lot of people know about me. One fun fact is I don't need a lot of sleep. So I fall asleep pretty easily. I stay asleep. I can wake up early and I can go. Um, so I think that's kind of a fun fact. Um, and I also, um, yeah, like I can, I can hop in a car as the passenger and if I'm like, oh, I've got 30 minutes here. Maybe I'll just close my eyes for a minute. I'll fall asleep, wake up and I'm, I'm good to go or whatever it might be. But yeah, I think that, um, it has been something that has been, um, beneficial to me over the years. Uh, but again, a lot of people kind of also know that about me too, because like I said, I'm kind of an open book. 
Well, I think you're getting a lot of people um, contacting you about how, how you are able to do that. So you might have lots of coffee dates coming up really soon. <laughs> That's right. Maybe there's a correlation there. I don't know. I don't know. My coffee intake, who knows? <laughs> okay. And then last question. So thank you for being on this podcast, but this podcast is called Why Not Me? What does that mean to you? Uh, what advice would you give to anyone who's asking themselves that very question now, or maybe has asked that question in the past? You know, I I have found Why Not Me to be something that reminds us of the the human experience and about how much more connected we actually really are. Um, none of us are better than or worse than each other. And when you kind of take a moment to just recognize that there's a lot more that makes us alike than makes us different in so many ways, um, then um, we start having more compassion for each other. And we also start having more compassion for ourselves. And we open ourselves up to this idea that anything is really possible. And so it just kind of reminds me um, to stay connected and to, to stay, um, in the right headspace as it relates to, um, the human condition, if you will, um, so that we can kind of continue to support one another and support ourselves in our own journey. And I love it, David, and I'm really proud of what you have done with your message and your book, um, and this podcast. I think that there's a lot of people out there who are going to continue to benefit from um, some of these important reminders, because sometimes things can get a little hairy or they can get busy and um, you have some really great um, stories to share. And it means a lot that um, I get to be um, on the receiving end of a lot of those messages. So thank you for for what you're doing and, and for getting us to all think like this. No, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, this, this was uh, this whole process for me. And you talk about mentors in your life and, you know, joining a business coaching group um, during the height of COVID, it was something like, oh, I don't need that. I think I, I got it under control. Well, you, you start getting involved in surrounding yourself with more like-minded individuals. It really does put you in a different state of mind of things of like, oh, I didn't think I was capable of that. And I may, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to try something different and something new. So yes, I never thought I'd write a book. I never thought I'd have a podcast and never thought I'd own two or three business, you know, like a business, you know, let alone one, but going on three. So you know, and that's all a testament of like the foundation set before us. And, and you talk about legacy and kind of where an impact that we want to make. And those are things that I'm looking to accomplish and with this book and the podcast and bringing on folks like yourself and, and really, and, and again, like I said earlier, showing people out there that take inventory of what's important in your life and, and everything else will fall in line. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. This, any questions on the podcast or itself, feel free to drop us a message. But Gazelle, thanks again for joining us. Appreciate Thank it. you, David. This was fun. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. And we hope you've enjoyed the show with Gazelle Johnston. Gazelle's message was truly inspirational and motivational. And I hope it helps anyone out there who is questioning whether or not they too can succeed. Her story is unique, but also proves that anyone can succeed if they work hard, treat people the right way, and never stops learning. Thank you, Gazelle. We enjoyed your message. And as always, give us a like, a follow, and a review. And please share this message and this podcast with your friends. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. Have a great day.